This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Uh, are we doing a series today? Uh, a short series has been headed in And uh, the hope is that uh, it will help us all kind of prepare our hearts and minds uh, for what's coming up. After all, um, as much as we make a big deal out of Christmas, don't we? And yet Easter is really the core, the center of the Christian faith. Now maybe you're here today and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior. You're, you, you've, he's interesting. He's compelling. He's attractive. And, and, and you're still exploring. You're in the right place. Uh, many of us were explorers. Uh, I still feel like I'm, um, I'm exploring Jesus and what his teachings mean and who he is to me. Uh, so we're glad that you're here, and we hope that in the next couple of weeks, you'll travel this journey with us and take the opportunity to consider what Easter really means. Now, this year, we're going we're gonna to kind of leverage something. Uh, in just about a week, there's a new movie opening. Uh, it's a movie, the, the title is The Case for Christ, and it's based on a book by the same name, A Case for Christ. It's written by Lee Strobel. And uh, it's, it's actually a little book that, if you've been a guest here, that might have been one of the little gifts that we gave you as you left, was a little book by Lee Strobel, either The Case for the Resurrection or The Case for Christ. But the movie is basically um, a, a visual uh, summary of what Lee Strobel's story is all about. You see, Lee Strobel was uh, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He, he focused especially in areas of, of uh, the legal system and he was faced with a crisis when his wife suddenly came home and announced that she had joined this church, she's going to fo- follow Jesus, and, and he, he was not a man of faith. And, and he began to struggle with what was the reality behind this. He felt like he was losing his wife to some cult. And, and the thought occurred to him that maybe he could, as a journalist, investigate what is the, the central claim of Christianity, if he could investigate the evidence and show that it is impossible that Jesus rose from the dead, if he could debunk that belief, he could probably debunk the whole faith and perhaps get his wife back. Now, in fact, we've got a little clip from the movie because it kind of dramatically um, portrays this pretty well, so we're just going to give you a little quick glimpse. Just enough evidence, but never enough to be conclusive. And you fill in all the gaps. Oh, well, yeah, you just gotta have faith. It's a bunch of nonsense.
So we're not really advertising the movie, although bunches, a bunch of us might want to go. But it's really that thought line that is so compelling for us. In fact, I will restate. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith means nothing. It's, it's just a silly little trinket. But if Jesus really did rise from the dead, as the scriptures portray, then there is nothing more important in all the universe than understanding that truth and then knowing how it applies to us. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore that as we head into Easter. We're going to be looking at the case for Christ, the case for the resurrection. Uh, next week, Pastor Jim's going to actually get to, a chance to unpack some of that evidence for you. But we have a goal here. And our goal is that, first of all, each of us who has trusted Jesus as our Savior would be filled with a, a greater sense of confidence. You see, what we believe is not one of those things that says, well, it's good for you, but not for me. This isn't really optional. We believe in something that has credible evidence, that has, has historical significance. We're not just believing in the tooth fairy here. And we hope that not only will that confidence encourage our own personal walk with the Lord, but it will embolden us to step up and speak up to others about where their walk in faith is and who they think Jesus is and how they deal with the fact of the resurrection. So this morning, as we get started, before we go jumping into some of the reasons to believe that the resurrection really happened, it might be helpful for us to take just a few minutes and talk about the reasons why people don't believe. Some of you know my story. I was raised in a home that I wasn't raised in church. I was raised to doubt all of this. And I'm so thankful for that because if you're here today and you're, you doubt, you need to understand uh, you're not an enemy. We're convinced that anyone with an, who looks at the facts with an open mind will become convinced just like we have. So around here at Crossroads, we say all the time that everyone is on a spiritual journey. Whether you're a believer or not, you're still on a spiritual journey. The destinations may be different. Crossroads is a place where people meet and people change direction. But sometimes on a spiritual journey, people get to a spot and then they get stuck. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you can look back in your life and identify a time when you were just stuck. You were raised as a kid in the church, and then you got to college or whatever, and then you just got stuck. People get stuck in their spiritual journey. Sometimes it's because of a, an issue that they struggle with, or there's a, an objection to some point in their faith, or a question about whether something is really true, or it's a problem that they can't figure out. People get stuck. Well, the truth of the matter is, there's something, a, a story that's really similar to that in the scriptures. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open it to the book of Acts. And we'll uh, project that up here as well. If, if you don't want to follow along in your Bible, you can follow along up here. But in Acts, there's this story about Philip, a follower of Jesus. Now, some of it is kind of weird because God picks him up and he disappears and he reappears. 
if, you know, if you follow Star Trek, there's nothing special about that at all. You know, but, but, but in real life, boy, it's kind of cool. Uh, although I, I still find it interesting that people kind of think it's fine in a sci-fi movie, but God, that makes us fools for believing that God can pick somebody up and move them. Anyway, starting in verse 26, here's the story. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of a candidate, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. God speaks to Philip, he follows, and he bumps into this Ethiopian eunuch, this, this uh, high-level servant. Interesting. And the Spirit told Philip, verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So Philip asks, do you understand what you are reading? And the man replies, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You see, here's a guy who obviously is on some kind of a spiritual journey, this Ethiopian eunuch. But he's stuck. There, he's come to a passage. Maybe it's a passage of scripture that's difficult. Maybe it's a, an issue that you can't figure out. He's stuck. What happens? What are the four most common obstacles to people's faith? Where do they get stuck? And the first one is simply this. I just can't believe. I can't believe all that. I understand this. This is the home that I grew up in to some extent. I'm going to say that people that feel this way, I just, I can't buy into all that. It's usually because of a series of intellectual problems, intellectual questions. They're stuck and it's blocking their faith journey. Questions like, I can't believe the Bible because it conflicts with science. Or, I can't believe without hard facts, objective logic. I want to see the data. Show me evidence. Or they say, I can't believe in a God who would let my loved one suffer. Or let anyone suffer. Or they say, I can't believe in a God because he's never answered my prayers. Now, I want to make sure you understand we're not going to make fun of any of those questions. Those are all important questions. If you're here today as a follower of Jesus and you haven't answered those questions, you got to double back and think about them. They are worth, they're important, worth being answered. Does anybody know somebody who's stuck on one of these? You know somebody who, I just can't believe, and they have this thing that they always keep throwing up. Or, or maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe that was you. Actually, there's a guy in the Bible, another guy besides this story in Acts, that had a problem like that. Some of you know his name. In fact, we put it right in his name, Doubting Thomas. In John chapter 20, we read this, starting in verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, he was not with the disciples when Jesus, uh, when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said... Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, to some people, Thomas is a disappointment. 
to others, he's a hero. You see, there's really nothing wrong with saying, I need to see the facts. Facts are not always necessary for faith. But there's a reason God gives us facts. He's saying, I want to see this. How do you help somebody who's demanding an answer? How do you help somebody who's demanding an objection get solved? Especially when it's a hard objection. What about those who have never heard? I love talking about apologetics, and yet that conversation, we're not going to cover it in a 20-minute lunch hour. So what do we say? How does a person get around this? Now, the film clip alluded to the fact that history is full of well-educated, articulate, gifted thinkers who started as atheists or agnostics, but as they investigated the scripture's story, they became convinced. They mentioned C.S. Lewis, and he's one of those classics in his book, uh, The The Road to Joy, um, uh, Surprised by Joy, sorry, 1955, I think. Still available, HarperCollins, publisher. He kind of records this process, this great mind, and wrestling with this truth. Well, here we are talking about Lee Strobel, another guy with great talents and great mind, But honestly, if we wanted to, I could give you a list of 30 or 40 people, many names that you would recognize from education and science and politics and so many different areas of thinking, people who have come to this conclusion. You see, how does a person get around the obstacle that they need facts, they need answers to these questions? For you and I, as we begin to talk about this, or if you are in that spot, the answer, I think, starts with this, and that is that you continue searching for God. You don't let one or two questions stop you. You don't say, you know what? I don't know how you think you can be right and everyone else is wrong, so I'm done. Instead, we say, I would like to understand how you think you can be right and everyone else is wrong. Help me understand that. That sounds narrow. That sounds bigoted. You say it's not. Help me understand that. Don't let an objection, and this is what I would share with someone if if I were talking to them, don't let that objection or that problem or that question, don't let that stop you from continuing to find an answer. Now, there's good news. In Luke 15, when Jesus talked about The Father's love for those who don't know Him. The Father's love for those who are lost. He gives parable after parable about someone who has lost something and seeking it. A lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. And in every parable, the Father is represented in the same way. He's desperately searching for those who are lost. Jeremiah, the prophet, says something similar. Sorry. In Jeremiah 29, we read this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You see, what we see at the tail end of that little paragraph about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, verse 27, we read this. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So you need to understand that 
as an Ethiopian eunuch, he wouldn't have been allowed to worship with the rest of the Jews even in Jerusalem. That would be easy to be offended by. And yet, where do we see him? What, what did he do? This is a man who is seeking God. He goes to Jerusalem during a time of worship. He's reading the book. Even though he says, I don't understand what I'm reading. He's not, he has not stopped seeking God. So first of all, there are people who say, I just can't believe. There are others who will say, I don't want to believe. Now, you probably have never actually heard them say this. It's rare that somebody says this out loud. It's usually something that's cooking in the back of their mind. It's related to the first question. You're like, I can't believe because of objections. But the difference here is that it's not so much objections as fears. If they're honest with themselves, they don't really want to believe. You see, they're afraid. They, they're in a, a, a relationship that is immoral, and they don't want to leave it. They're in a business that is unethical, and they don't want to leave it. You see, they're, they're in a position where they're benefiting from sin, and they don't want to lose that benefit. They love their sin more than the truth. Actually, John wrote something exactly like that in John 3.19. When he was talking about how Jesus came into the world, but he was rejected by the world, the verdict is this, he says in verse 19, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Now, again, not many people will be honest, but as you befriend someone, you may begin to sense this. Or if you are here, you might be willing to be honest with yourself. You know, if this is true, it means there's some things in my life that should change. I remember when I first trusted Christ, and it occurred to me, you see, as a young boy, I, I could convince my parents of almost anything. I, I really had never done anything wrong, wrong. And the, the week that I came to faith... All of a sudden, I had this sense of dread. I'd never felt dread ever. I mean, a spanking was a little scary, but they didn't produce dread. All of a sudden, it occurred to me, whoever is up there knows exactly everything I've done, and he is not buying into my excuses. <laughs> oh, man. You see, we want to avoid that. And so sometimes people will cook up objections. Well, what about those who have never heard? What about this? What about all the consistencies in the Bible? The truth of the matter is, it's not really that objection that's stopping them. For these folks, those are just smoke screens. They've chosen objections because they, frankly, don't want to change. They don't want to believe. Now, Aldous Huxley, uh, I won't get into his history. Uh, he wrote a book, Ends and Means, and he's one of, the, of our good thinkers from an age past, but he talked, he's one of those guys that came to faith later in his life, and he wrote about why he was refusing to trust Christ. And I just thought you'd find this interesting. He writes this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had none. And I was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, as no doubt for many of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essential as an instrument of liberation. 
The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from certain political and economic systems and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. You see, these are people that they don't want to be told what to do. Can you believe that? Actually, every one of us can relate to that. Every one of us has some aspect of our lives that, frankly, we would rather it go untouched. They don't want God to change their lives, so they manufacture reasons to not believe. How do we help someone get around this? Well, in essence, it's really about asking them, inviting them to be honest about the costs and benefits. If there is an eternity, if there is a God who is moral, if these things are true, is the cost worth the benefit? Like any other bad habit, we urge people to think about the future, not just the present. The upfront costs and those costs later. How long has it been since you talked to someone or someone talked to you about a bad habit? Okay. I really, really, really need to stop buying party-sized bags of chips. We've had this discussion. There's something like that in your life. Somebody said, when are you going to stop smoking? When are you going to stop driving so fast? When are you going to stop texting while you're driving? When are you going to, whatever it is. See, we all do the same thing. We're challenging someone that we love. Please think about the cost, the potential cost. Of course, when you're on the other side of that, how do you feel about that? Hmm. And we all assume, okay, I know that happens. It won't happen to me. Right, Scott? It won't happen to me. Just had his, the best check, uh, doctor's checkup he's ever had in his life. Actually, Scott and people like Scott are, are gifts to us. They're the wake-up call that says, careful. If it's true, it can be true for you. The, what we're saying is, would you consider giving up something that is going to bring you heartache in the future? Will you embrace something that will bring you joy forever? Will you consider the trade-off? Jim Elliott, missionary, famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, does that force somebody to believe? Absolutely not. Are, you, are, are they going to fall on their knees in the lunchroom with you and come to faith? Perhaps not. But we're urging them toward what's true. You see, if this is true and if there is a cost, I want you to think again about what you're doing. Are you sure this relationship is worth the cost? The truth of the matter is, part of the reason that they're struggling, it's part of the reason we feel so self-conscious. Oh, now they're mad at me. Now they don't like me. Now they're avoiding me. Well, of course they are. Can we be grown up enough to say, they're avoiding me for the right reason? Because what I'm saying already has a sting of truth to it. And I care about them too much to put our friendship over your eternal destiny. Do we have the courage to do that? Well, I'm going to move on. So 
folks say, I can't believe. Some folks say they don't want to believe. But there are others who honestly would say, I don't know what to believe. Right? We live in this world that's so packed full of information. Actually, this Ethiopian eunuch had the same issue. We're going to keep reading in verse 32. He says this. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. So this is where he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Okay, pause here for a second. No wonder the eunuch was struggling. What is that even about? He doesn't, I don't understand this. I'm reading the book. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody say, I, I tried reading the Bible. I didn't understand it. Sure. It's possible to have that experience still today. It, it, it's, it's not written for third graders. This eunuch had a, a problem. He was stuck because, I, what is he saying? How do I know what's right? And I want you to notice what God did in response. And the eunuch asked Philip, hey, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? When somebody comes to us with an objection to Christianity, with an objection to faith, I want to coach us to not take that as an attack or a slight. Instead, it is an open door. It is an opportunity. Explain to me why you say that. Have you read that before? Could we read it together? Could we study it together? Because I'm very interested to know what it is you think it says and how that makes you feel. I'd like to talk about this more. Of course you're offended at first because you don't understand it. And look what happens. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. This is a passage that was written hundreds of years before their reading. There's no way that eunuch could gain an understanding completely by himself. He needed an assist. That's it. We don't even have to portray ourselves as having all the answers. I still don't. When somebody brings up an objection or question, I'll go, whew, uh, you know what? I'm, I, that's, that's worth talking about. I, in fact, that, I, let's get some time. This is worth some uninterrupted time. Let's, let's get together and talk about it. When, uh, you want to meet for lunch tomorrow? Okay, let's do that. And then you call Pastor Jim. And, <laughs> and you say, what do I say? Then you call everybody in your, your, your life group or your, your, your discussion group, you know, pray for me. Because God has opened the door. It's no wonder people say, I don't know what to believe. But the bottom line is this. Just like, just like when somebody says, oh, I, I can't learn computers. There's too much about computers. There's so much to learn. I just can't, I, I just can't, I, I can't do computers. You know what's funny about that? Let's be honest. There is a lot to learn about computers. I, I don't know much. But what we've learned is you don't have to actually learn a lot at first. You can learn one thing. On. I remember when that happened, like, okay, man, there's a lot of little things on this screen. I don't know what to do if you push this. Oh, well, there it is. I remember somebody talking, like, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I guess, you, don't you use this as a phone? Make a phone call? Okay, so you're going to make a phone call. What do you suppose you're going to press? 
wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, our AV guys are on it. Man, they can, yeah, they're, they're way ahead of you. And, and well, Mike, you want to make a phone call. What do you suppose you're going to press? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, oh, this little phone thing? Oh. There you go. Well, I've got all these questions. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not going to answer all the questions. Tell me the biggest question. Well, let's look at it. Where is that? Oh, it's, you sure it's in the Bible? And you find a verse and you start there. It's just that simple. Are you willing to start someplace? Now, by the way, when it comes to understanding what the Bible has to say, it's not as complicated as your friends are going to make out to be. You don't have to be an expert. Actually, it all starts like, like you understand the Bible the same way you understand anything that's ever been written. The first thing is you need to know who wrote it and who they're writing to and what the occasion of writing was. You pick up a paper, you know, oh, this is today's paper. You may not know, you may not care who the actual author of the article is, but you know what they're writing about. It's right, this is what happened. Oh, this is about the, the train crash yesterday and whatever. And you, it's just that simple. When you begin with those simple things, the vast majority of the scriptures make perfect sense. There are a few passages that are difficult, confusing. But the vast majority of the scriptures are actually pretty straightforward. When the scriptures say, for by grace, you're saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's not really hard. When Jesus says, anybody who comes to me, it's not really hard. The important parts are not all that difficult. I've said to folks at the time, you know, it's really interesting to me that, that you want to talk about this really obscure passage. We haven't talked about any of the really clear ones. In fact, sometimes I'll start a conversation that way. Okay, you know what? You know what? This will be fun. I'm more than willing to talk about that obscure passage buried in Leviticus. You bet. When we're done with this, though, could we talk about a couple that I pick? Because they're clear? Don't let people convince you that it's so complicated. It just isn't. That's why Mark Twain said, uh, he says, I ain't bothered by the parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. <laughs> and honestly, you're going to see that to be true in some of these friends, some of these folks that we talk about. Now, there is another part, another version of this problem. I don't know what to believe. You know, there's so many options out there, just overwhelming. I don't want to pick who's right, whatever. And we just withdraw, thinking that somehow that's a good idea. Okay, try that with uh, uh, treating cancer. Well, I, I, I'm struggling with cancer, but there's all these treatments out there, and it's just overwhelming. So I'm just, I'm just not going to do anything. Bad choice. There's another version of this problem, though, and that's those that honestly look at us like we're crazy people. Wait. Like, for instance, there was a day not that long ago, generations ago, when you went to somebody and you said, I want to know, where are you going to go when you die? And that was a compelling question. Now, people will blink and go, what? So immersed are we in the here and now that the idea of thinking about the future, it, it almost, it doesn't even enter most of our friends' minds. What? Die? die dirt, right? They haven't even considered it. Now, here's the problem. How do we talk to someone about eternal destiny when they think the entire discussion is irrelevant. How do we start? What do we do? Really 
I hate it when I think I hit off and I hit snooze. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we build a case? Do you ever feel like you're trying to build a case when they don't think there's a case to be built? My sister's a lawyer. I talked to her about this. What is it when, when a point is moot? When a point, like, I was building this case to say that this kind of action doesn't lead to this, and, and then the whole case is thrown out. The point's moot. It's useless. It doesn't matter. They don't even think it's important. It's hard to convince somebody about something when they don't think it even matters. But here's a thought. We're not the only ones in our culture who are doing that. We're not the only ones trying to convince somebody that something is important when they think it's irrelevant. And actually, I, I think seeing this will help you understand what I'm talking about more than me talking. You've seen these. We asked people a question. How much money do you think you'll need when you retire? $500,000. million? Then we gave each person a ribbon to show how many years that amount might last. That'll preach. Won't that preach? Here you thought it was just us religious nuts that have this problem. But all these retirement people have the same problem. What are they? Everyone knows that they're going to finally stop working. That's clear, right? And still, how many are actually saving enough? Not many. And so what are they left doing? They're left encouraging people who really don't want to hear it. Think about what comes next. I laugh when he says, uh, you know, a 30-year retirement. Do you know what 30 years looks like in light of eternity? They're trying to get people to provide for the, an extra 30 years. We're talking about forever. Well, if, but just like the people they're talking to, guess what? We get this sense. Ah, no, 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 no. They just, oh, please. And yet, does that mean that these folks stop? No. If you care about people, then we continue to urge them. We say, please think about making different decisions, better decisions, decisions that will play better in the future. You will thank me later. Sometimes you hear me say that I, I, I want to look like a, an investment genius in heaven. Lord knows I don't look like one now. But if I keep transferring more and more of my assets to heaven where they multiply eternally, I hope I look like a Bill Gates in heaven when it counts because nobody will remember your boat or your car up there. So we urge people, make better decisions. One more point. We're going to turn our attention toward what matters. Lastly, I just want to talk for a minute. You know, there are people who say, I can't believe, and people who say, I won't believe, and there's people who say, I don't know what to believe. But there is this fourth category about people who say, oh, 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 wait, 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 I do believe. So what's the big deal? Isn't that enough? 
The problem is this. You see, they, they will say something like, and, and again, if, I'm, if this is you, I, okay, listen to the Spirit of God. I, I understand the gospel. I know it's true. I've believed it. But I still feel like I'm stuck. Hmm. I feel like something is holding me back from experiencing the kind of relationship with God that the people around here keep talking about. Why does God seem to be so distant from me? Why can't I really connect with God? Now, now I want to stop preaching. Because if those words are words that resonate in your heart, I want to make sure you got a second to digest that. Why do I feel far from God? I believe what you're saying. I believe all this. And yet, is that you? So I, I don't know how to answer that question. But I will start with this question. If you feel far from God, who do you suppose moved? Knowing that he wants to draw close to us, what is the source of that distance? James says something that's very convicting. In James chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the, de the demons believe that and shudder. What? I mean, we all know that demons aren't saved. What is he saying? Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 13. Listen. Now, he's writing to our friends, the Corinthians. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't, do, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Test? What's he talking about? What kind of a test? What kind of an examination is needed? See, James isn't saying that faith alone won't save you. Look at that again. He's not saying faith alone won't save you. What he's saying is faith is never alone. What Paul is saying, the context in Corinthians is one of obedience. He's saying, test yourself. Test how? Are you doing what he said? If we go back to the book of Acts as we close up, look at what happens with the eunuch. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture to tell him everything that his church believed. All the reasons why the Samaritans are wrong in their worship style. Why they really like Lincoln Brewster music. First of all, Philip knows why he's there. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along that road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What could stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. In this passage... I just want to point out, it doesn't say, actually, that the eunuch did or did not trust in Jesus. It doesn't say. Is there any doubt in this room? None. 
Do you know why? Because it doesn't have to say that he believed, because he showed that he believed. Sometimes, because we are trying to help people understand that we are not saved because of the works we do, we seem to imply that you can simply mentally assent to this, oh, Jesus and whatever, and that's good, I guess I'm in. And then what happens is those folks later have a complaint. Hey, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be life-changing. It's not. And the reason it's not life-changing, the reason that God feels so far away is because God never intended for us to simply have kind of a, a mental exercise. When we put our faith in him, our lifestyle changes. Remember those people who don't want to believe? They don't want to believe because they realize that their lifestyle should change. Do you have to change your lifestyle to be saved? Obviously not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said something very interesting. He said, only the believer is truly obedient. And only the obedient believe. Now, sometimes we're disobedient and the, what God's doing, we're feeling some, some conviction. And that's fruit too, I think. But here's the, here's the question. Are you standing? Are you standing on the very edge of the water? People are in the water and they're swimming and they're praising and they're, and they're enjoying the water. They're enjoying that new life. And you stand on the edge and you nod to everything they say. But you're not in the water. Why? What is it you're afraid you will lose by jumping in full what is it that you are holding back from God? Here's the insight. He's not holding anything back from you. You are holding it back from him. You're so afraid you're going to lose that toy. So afraid you're going to lose that little slice of, of what you think is joy. And he says, if you would just let it go, I'm going to immerse you in joy. I'm going to immerse you in purpose. I'm going to give you joy now that lasts through eternity. But you're going to have to believe me. And our little what, our knuckles are white hanging on to these things. Romans 12. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You say, oh, I, I've believed all the right things. Then serve up, serve yourself up. Get in line to obey him. Well, well, sometimes I mess up. We all do. But what you are missing is that step from simply some kind of a mental exercise to actually putting our faith in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Have you offered yourself to him and held nothing back? Just a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's perfectly okay to let these elements pass by. You're not being rude. As we take these, we're remembering what Jesus did for us, those who have believed. If you've not trusted Christ and you realize that sitting here today, what would stop you from trusting Jesus as your Savior? What would stop you from saying, you died for me? I believe. I am trusting you. I'm in. I am diving in. You could make that choice today and partake with us for the first time in your spiritual life. 
Or you can let those things pass by. But for those of us who are believers, is there something that you have been holding back? Could it be that that is the cause of the distance you feel? Because he loves you, he wouldn't want you to be unaware that you are cheating yourself. We live in a world of people who won't believe, can't believe, don't know what to believe. They need us to know who we believe. As the ushers come forward and prepare to serve the, off, the, the Lord's table, I'm going to invite you to close your heads. <laughs> yeah. You think the Lord just humbles you. So will you close your eyes, bow your heads. Those who are serving, come on up. So I invite you to reflect in this few moments of quiet, almost quiet. The irony is, some of you know exactly what it is you're holding back. Without, you already know, you're already convicted, and you're just wondering, do I dare? Others are saying, oh, I don't think he's talking about me. He can't be talking about me. I mean, things aren't perfect, but he's not talking about me. I mean, I trusted. I mean, I, I could say all the right things. I know the right things. I know what I know. And so, whoa, 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 you don't argue with me. But I encourage you to talk to the Lord Jesus. After all, as we take these elements, we experience that he held nothing back. And now he invites you to do the same. Lord Jesus, as we consider the sacrifice you made, convict us by your spirit through the words of, your, of, of the scriptures. Encourage us, guide us, convict us to get to the place where we have held nothing back. Point out those things that must be released so that we could fully enjoy your presence and confidently share with those who don't know you yet. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. It's in your matchless name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.